Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Welcome to the show today, dress listeners. On Tuesday, we featured an interview with Dana Thomas about the cost of fast fashion. And today, we get to highlight a designer actively promoting its antithesis, slow fashion. So Dana and I talked about slow fashion on Tuesday's episode. But as fast fashion's foil, slow fashion essentially stands for everything that fast fashion does not. Slow fashion is about sustainable, ethically produced clothing, high quality clothing that will last, yes, but clothing that is also made in a way that does not harm humans, animals, or the environment. And today's guest, Karina Emmerich, is the fashion designer and founder behind the New York City-based label, Emmy. And she is an inspiring designer actively working with the sustainable fashion and slow fashion movements. She is a fashion designer, yes, but also, as we will hear, she's an artist and an activist. And I actually had the pleasure of seeing her work earlier this year at Santa Fe Indian Market in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In its 98-year history, millions of people from all around the world have attended the Indian Market, which is an annual three-day event that brings together Native American artists from all across the country. And it is one of New Mexico's most highly anticipated art shows. And its fashion show, as you know, Cass, is one of its highlights. What was it like? I mean, I've talked a little bit about it earlier this year, but this is, you know, actually the first year that I've actually gone, and it's certainly now on my annual calendar. It was absolutely incredible. There are so many talented designers that presented their work, one after the other on the runway, but I have to say that Karina's show was the one that stood out the most to me. You know, this collection was beautiful. It was made from upcycled menswear and natural fibers, Her pieces are impeccably made, and she really has this way with combining patterns and colors um, that produce this visually striking effect. Um, But her show is also so incredibly powerful because of this message that she was relaying. And we are going to hear all about the inspiration behind the show because, of course, Karina is here with us today. Karina, welcome. Karina, welcome to the show today. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Now, I'm hoping that you can tell us about yourself, um, a little bit about your background, how you came to fashion, and what inspired you to create this fabulous line, Emmy. So um, my work is really built on the backbone of expression, art, and culture, weaving um, art and design into one. Um, I take a lot of my inspiration as a mix of contemporary art and indigenous art and traditional practices. I myself am a descendant of the Coast Salish Territory Puyallup tribe on my father's side. So a lot of my work is inspired by, um, you know, that indigenous culture and my family. And I have currently been working, building my brand based out of Brooklyn, New York, uh, with a strong focus on ethics, sustainability and responsibility in the fashion industry. And do you have like a first memory of fashion that you wouldn't mind sharing with us or how you kind of knew that you wanted to be a fashion designer? Did you have a moment where you 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 realized that? Yeah. So what I actually, you know, my sister had a lot of Marie Claire magazines and I would rip out all the pages and plaster my walls with kind of these fabulous images. And before I really, really knew what being a fashion designer meant. 
my dad was actually an art teacher when I was growing up. So we spent a lot of time doing art projects. And um, I remember consciously making the decision of taking, you know, using my artistic talent and wanting to use that to make clothing. So the first thing I ever made actually was my jingle dress regalia, which is a jingle dress in powwows. That was the first dress I ever made. And I remember standing at the kitchen table, kind of creating this garment with me and my mom. I had the measuring tape around my neck and just thinking like, okay, this is who I'm supposed to be. So I kind of remember that visual often. And that was my freshman year of high school, actually. And for those dress listeners who might not know what a jingle dress is, would you mind kind of explaining the significance yeah, so the jing- the jingle dress is like a prayer dress or a healing dress, and it's uh, used in powwow regalia. Powwows are kind of like a gathering of all different nations of indigenous people. So the jingle dress is a dress that's covered in Copenhagen lids, which is funny. So they're rolled Copenhagen lids, um, which is a chewing tobacco, and they are you know rolled into these jingles, and you can have up to like 365 jingles on one dress. So it's a really really heavy dress. But the thought behind it is that it's a healing dress. So you put all these prayers into this dress that when you dance, these prayers are released. Healing is released into the world based on the sound, based on the prayers that you put into while ma- while making this. And so incredibly beautiful. I just went to my very first gathering of nations here in New Mexico um, last year. Um, and all of, of the art and beauty and everything that was on display there was just, I, it was so incredibly special and um, such a cool experience for someone who's never done it before. But I mean, I think it's safe to say that your business is part of the fashion revolution movement. You're actively working to transition the fashion industry from fast fashion and its disastrous repercussions to an industry that champions sustainability, ethically produced clothing. Can you tell us a little bit more about your business model and also the role of upcycling in your design and production process? Because you make some incredibly cool and special pieces. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I am kind of um, coincided with the fashion revolution. It's a it's a movement that seeks to create, you know, a fashion industry that values people and the environment and creativity all on equal measure with profit. So it's not just about capitalizing. It's about really paying attention to where your garments are coming from, how they're being produced. So I made a commitment to myself, first of all, and to my customers that I would be completely transparent about my production and sourcing choices. So I think in this day and age, there's no longer a traditional fashion designer roadmap. And we all have choices now in the way that we choose to consume and the way that we choose to create. So I work mainly in recycled and reused textiles and fabrics, as well as using upcycling in order to eliminate as much textile waste as possible during my design process. So one of the things that I do often, I will go and volunteer my time at textile recycling plants in order to acquire fabric. So if you do like three hours of work, then you can take home five pounds of fabric for free. And that's the way that I've produced a lot of my collections, which is kind of good because it eliminates, you know, my cost, (laughs) (laughs) but also, you know, just the um, using recycled textile fabrics from top. New York fashion houses. So I volunteer my time. Um, my last collection that I worked on was actually 80% upcycled men's workwear, and it was all 100% natural fibers. So I focus now 
I'm trying to focus my collections on using 100% cotton fibers, 100% wool fibers, and really honing in on the life cycle of a garment. Thinking about, you know, starting with production all the way to decomposition of a garment. So using 100% natural and recycled fibers, it really cuts down the environmental impact that my clothing line is having on the environment. Yeah, and you're you're obviously also making clothing that's going to last the test of time, right? It's going to, you know, last somebody their lifetime. And you actually also build your all your pieces custom order, right? Yeah, so I do instead of um doing production runs, I make everything as it's ordered. So then that way I'm eliminating also, you know, mass waste. I worked for a while doing uh, department stores. I had some of my collections in department stores and that was very eye-opening to me and it was all part of this learning process. So really seeing, you know, what goes into the production process and how much textile waste that you don't have control over. You're dropping things off at your production facility and leaving. And then, you know, you don't know what's happening to the waste, the waste of your fabric. So I've decided to cut that out, only do made to order. So as soon as I receive an order, then the garment is made. So cool. And then you have complete control over your company and your product. So Karina, you are an artist, as you've mentioned, fashion designer, but you're also an activist. And I was first introduced to your work this past Santa Fe Indian Market in the market's annual fashion show. And I think it's actually this upcycled menswear line you were just talking about. But your collection had this particularly powerful conclusion. And I'm hoping you can tell us about the inspiration behind the collection a little bit more and how fashion can also be used as protest. Yeah. So I think, you know, as artists and designers, we're really storytellers. So we're given a platform to kind of share a story and share a feeling and and make a statement. And protest dressing has been a longstanding tradition from, you know, women wearing all white in solidarity with the suffrage movement to now we have the Why We Wear Red campaign to calling attention to missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, trans and two-spirit people. So my collection at Santa Fe Indian Market was called Anadromus, and that is a term to describe fish that travel from the sea upriver to spawn in fresh water like salmon. Salmon is a number one food source for my tribal region in Coast Salish territory, and it's really kind of like the basis of our life form as human beings, if you think about it. So salmon really symbolize abundance and fertility and prosperity and renewal, much like women do. And women was the focus of this year's Santa Fe Indian market. So I wanted to create a duality between what's happening to the decrease in wild salmon in juxtaposition with this epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women. You know, there's an epidemic going on. I urge everybody to really look into it. There's over 5,000 cases that are unresolved of Native women who have gone missing from urban areas and reservations. So a lot of the work that I put into this collection was to call attention to that. And it was also really about, you know, the rise of Indigenous women, much like the rise of salmon. And it's often said that what happens to the earth happens to the women. So the focus for this collection was, you know, I wore a t-shirt at the end of the runway that said, rematriate, resist, rise. And the focus is on rematriating as Indigenous women and reclaiming our representation in today's society 
and really stepping away from this kind of like overtly sexualized being, you know, like all these issues that we have with, you know, people dressing up in costume and, and, and the way that people think that indigenous women are these like docile creatures or, you know, uh, these like, like silly stereotypes. Um, So it's really about us kind of reclaiming, reclaiming this space in this world, you know, to say that we're still here and we're here in 2019. (laughs) (laughs) And um, you actually are leading perfectly into my next question, because as you mentioned, as an Indigenous designer, I'm hoping you can speak a bit about cultural appropriation, kind of this stereotyping of Native people that happens. And it's a rampant problem in the fashion industry, especially, which it is 2019, and yet we still have all of these issues. Why is it especially detrimental to Native American cultures? You know, first off, I want to say thank you for asking why. I think a lot of people um, spend a lot of time focusing on who is appropriating. And I think that talking about why it's such an issue is so much more important. So authenticity is really highly valued, but very misused in the fashion industry. um, And especially when that comes to representation of natives. And I think that's a big part of the platform that I've taken on as a designer is to speak about these issues. So I come from a family that was sent to Indian boarding schools. They were set in place with the ideology of, you know, kill the Indian, save the man. All of our regalia, all of our clothing, everything that we knew was taken away and stripped away from us. They were forced into Indian boarding schools, separated from their families in order to assimilate to white values and practices. It was federal policy to remove children from their families. We were literally forced away from traditions, language, clothing, and anybody that could pass down that knowledge to us. So that's one of the reasons that it's really big deal in Native communities to see people appropriating the things that were stripped from us and basically outlawed. And it has really only been legal to celebrate being Native in the United States for the past 40 years. Um, when the American Indian Religious Freedom Act was passed. And to put that in perspective, that was the same year that my sister was born. So it's really not been that long. So to take, you know, for designers and people in the fashion industry to take long traditions that we're now trying to, you know, kind of reinvigorate and and put more life into, and people are taking them and profiting off of them when it was ripped away from us and told it wasn't okay, that's kind of where the, the huge problem lies. And there's a lot of trauma behind seeing these things represented in the media. You know, it's also a big problem. You know, we just passed Halloween recently and like the like red face is a huge problem as well. And for some reason, that's still societally accepted for people to dress as Indians. It really, really does just blow my mind that this is still a thing. And it's really to me, contributing to this kind of modern day genocide of our culture and making it seem like we are still mythical creatures or something that didn't exist when the indigenous community is really, really thriving today. Right. And I I mean, you still see things like the Washington Redskins, or I don't know what butter brand it is that has this like romanticized Native American woman on the cover. And and people, like you said, it just, it's incredibly... It's 2019, and yet we still have are confronted with all of these backwards racist stereotypes. Um, and like you said, they're incredibly harmful for many, many reasons. And I am curious, too, what your opinion is about 
Is there a difference between, because people ask this a lot, is there a difference between cultural inspiration and appropriation? Can designers be inspired by Native motifs and cultures and not appropriate, or is that not even possible? I think that's a really tricky topic to walk around, but I do think that there's a possibility of the answer being pretty simple. You know, as designers, we do collaborations all the time. And, you know, one design house will do a collaboration with another design house. So I don't understand why collaborations aren't happening with indigenous designers. It's very rare that a design house who will do a collection inspired by, you know, a tribe or a nation will actually reach out. And it's not just about like getting the okay. It's about like hiring people onto your team to work together. So this collaboration, you know, is about shared profits. So why isn't that happening with tribes and nations? How come there aren't shared profits? And how come, you know, people aren't being hired on to be in these design houses? I live in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. You know, it's not, it's, it's not somebody that's unreachable. We're all on the other end of a phone line or an email chain or an Instagram DM, you know? So it's just, it blows my mind that, um, that we're not really in these rooms where these decisions are being made. And if we are, it's just such a minuscule amount to the point where the design houses aren't really learning how to do it in a way that's respectful and not appropriating. Right. And the answer to this is dress listeners to buy from Indigenous fashion designers like yourself who are doing incredible, beautiful, important work. And, you know, we're coming to the end of our time together. But before you go, I'm just curious what you think the future of fashion looks like. I do feel like we're at a crossroads here with, with a lot of different things. And, and the fashion industry has to change. Do you see it changing? How do you see it changing? Yeah, I mean, this, you know, this is something that it's so hard to overcomplicate. I'm I'm not a I'm not a monolith for sustainable practices. I don't have all the answers. And the only thing that I can say is that, you know, the more that I learn, the more that I will share that with um, you know, my ba- the base of people that I have um in my network. But I think that the answer can be really simplified and just saying, you know, the future of fashion is that our garments should be made in a safe, clean and fair way. And that's the easiest way to go about it. And the details will come, but we need to make that decision now. And, you know, I think it, 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 you know, the responsibility falls in the hands of fashion designers, but it also falls in the hands of consumers. We all need to be more eco-ethically conscious uh, consumers. The clothing, anything we actually purchase and, and consume in our lives, we really should think twice about it. Everything we eat, it all, it, it really extends, you know, you take responsibility for your life. And Karina, I think it goes without saying that you and designers like yourself are the future of fashion. And with designers like you in this world, the future of fashion is bright. You are incredibly inspiring. And I really want to just thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I absolutely love your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And before you go, for those of our listeners who would like to follow and purchase your work, where can they find you? So you can find my um, website at emmerichny.com. It's E-M-M-E-R-I-C-H-N-Y.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram um, at Karina Emmerich, um, K-O-R-I-N-A-E-M-M-E-R-I-C-H. And um, that's where I pretty much communicate with everybody through Instagram. So that's really the best way to get a hold of me as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Karina, thank you so much for being here. Cass, Karina is really doing such important work for the fashion industry, both as an ethical designer 
and also as an indigenous designer. You know, why buy Native American-inspired fashion when you can buy Native American-made and designed fashion? That That's a no-brainer. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and I think what she said about, you know, this continued propagation of Native American stereotypes is really important. You know, be it a caricatured sports team mascot or a romanticized depiction of an indigenous woman on a beer bottle or even butter. You know, I mean, these images are harmful. And for more information about why, I highly suggest our listeners check out the podcast, All My Relations. I've said it before on the show, but it's hosted by Matika Wilbur and Dr. Adrian Keene. And they have a fantastic episode on Native fashion, but also episodes on everything from, you know, Native mascots to Native appropriations. So definitely check that podcast out. And of course, be sure to check out Karina's work at emmerichny.com or at Karina Emmerich on Instagram. And Emmerich is spelled E-M-M-E-R-I-C-H. Well, that does it today for us, dress listeners. May you consider buying slow, sustainable fashion this holiday season next time you get dressed. And we actually still have, I think, one or two spots, April, left for our first two two spots. Wow. Left for our first week of our 2020 dress tour, Fashion History Tour Paris. So that's June 8th to the 14th. So please join us. We would love, love, love to meet you. And also, if you have a moment to take the time to rate and review us on iTunes, we love hearing from you. Also, please write to us with your own fashion history mystery requests at dressed at iheartmedia.com. And of course, you can always follow along on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, which is our Twitter handle. Or you can follow along on Facebook at dressed podcast without the underscore. Last but not least, thank you to our producers, Holly Fry, Casey Pegram, and everyone else at iHeartMedia that makes the show possible each week. Catch you soon. Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.